Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be, listening to local news and social artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton. Each week, we get to talk to folks that are building a more humane world from the inside out. And I I just happen to think, I said planetary citizens, Uh, Some of you may be interplanetary citizens. I don't know. (laughs) We don't know a lot of what all is really out there. So welcome all. Uh, My guest today is returning after, gee, almost uh, two years. Diana Rankin was sort of a big help to me uh, during the passing of my father uh, two years ago on Halloween. So it's good to have you back, Diana. Diana Rankin from Ohio. It's good to be back, Dick. It's good to be talking with you again. Tell us how you would like us to think of you as you're conversing with me today. Well, I think of myself as a healer in many ways, many years ago now. Someone actually a a psychic at that time, I I didn't like the word then, I still don't like it, but I use it because that explains, psychic medium explains to people, it it has a connotation that they understand or a definition. And that person said to me that there are body healers, that there are mind healers, that there are emotional healers, and then there are heart healers, and the heart is where it comes all together. So I like to say I use my gifts to help heal hearts and whether that is helping people just love themselves more, which may be help them find the right relationship or help them through the the current relationship, whether that means helping people with what's going on in our world today, which is difficult energy, helping people develop their own intuition to make their lives better helping people finding the right career, whatever form that takes, my job, I feel, is to help people really connect with the truth of who they are. And when we're able to do that, we then are able to live ourselves in joy. And as we live in joy, guess what? That's how we spread it around the world. And especially today in our country, we need to calm the anger and bring out the joy. That's not to say we never get angry, we do. But if we're able to take that anger and turn it into constructive use, then it's no longer that we're, we're angry, it's that we're actually working toward a better tomorrow. To talk about uh, healing and healers and various kinds of healing kind of is the season for that. <laughs> It really is. For those who celebrate Thanksgiving, I mean, here we are. I always say that's a day to really look at what we're thankful for, which we should do every day. But it's kind of nice to have a special day of the year uh, to say, okay, I am really grateful for this or that. I think of myself also as a teacher to help others discover. I remember on our show that... uh... I was reading one of your books, uh, The Found Child. Child. The Found Child. 
we typically would hear about the loss, this and that, but this one was the found child, which was a neat name to start with. Thank you. And, uh, and it sort of, it was one of those mind expanding books to, wow, it went into other realms and other levels of being. And, uh, and I don't know, but was it through the writing of Found Child that you accessed this, uh, I'll call him a character, Philip, as a, a guide? Actually, I, I knew Philip before. Okay. Uh, Philip, as my, my main spirit guide, uh, certainly helped me write The Found Child. Uh, and The Found Child, uh, I, I, I'll get more into that, but I want to come back to that last time we talked. We were going to do, that was the death of the day of your father passed. I'm so sorry. Uh, and I know how difficult it is to still say goodbye to a father, to a parent. Uh, and during that conversation we were trying to have and have call-ins from people, I just kept getting disconnected. And your engineers and I kept talking, trying to get me reconnected using two different phones, using my cell phone, using my office phone. And then later you you told me that about your father's passing. And so I want to say that we, we work in this marvelous energy. Um, and to this day, I think we both rather believe that your father was trying to connect us. And I was so, or was trying to get a message to you. And I was so zeroed in on talking and the, the electronics and the phone and all of that, that I wasn't listening to your father. Uh, so I just wanted to, to say that and apologize for not picking up on your father that day to him as much as to you. But we do have those electrical and electronic issues going when we're, when we're talking to people in spirit world because the energy is different from the third dimensional world. And the found child doesn't necessarily go into that, but part of it you don't know if you're reading fiction or, or if you're reading truth uh, when you read the book, because it starts with finding this very strange little boy as this woman, the main character walks down her lane and she is recovering from a motorcycle spill. So we don't know if she's alive or if she's transitioned into death until later in the book. And so throughout the book, uh, she meets this other strange character in spirit world by the name of Philip. And Philip, I will say, does have a sense of humor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but he, he teaches us about soulmates. He teaches us about so many uh, different things in spirit world and the different dimensions. Well, speaking of sense of humor, I'm going to mention my dad again. I never thought of my dad as having much of a sense of humor, really. I, that was not something that I, look, that I looked back through our relationship and uh, would, have, would have come up with. But here he dies on Halloween, <laughs> which is, you know, it, it has its own quality. And uh, I, I mentioned this probably only once, uh, maybe not even on the radio, but maybe I did. He passed like about six o'clock in the evening. 
And we were all around him at uh, the uh, assisted living center. Uh, the, fans, the family that was available was around. And he stopped breathing. And we went out of the room. And then I walked back into the room just for another little look and connection. <laughs> and I, I noticed that somehow his final pose was his head back and his mouth wide open that, that made me think of that mask that you put on at Halloween from Scream or one of those. And I thought, I just, I just had to burst out laughing. I just thought it was the, <laughs> the, the coolest thing to, to tickle me on his way out. And uh, actually, I don't know that any of the other family felt it like I did, but I took it as, a, as just a very positive uh, sign that, hey, I, I'm going to go have some fun. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly sounds like it, too. Yeah. He, he was certainly playing with us on that day that we were trying to connect. Yeah, yeah. So you you have, uh, shall we call it a gift or an ability to hear? Uh, and you would, you, when you hear Philip, is it a, a voice that is recognizable in your mind at, compared to other voices you might hear? Um, Any more rather than a voice, it's more of just a knowing. Mm -hmm. um, I often journal with Philip, mm -hmm. uh, especially with the questions for the weekly YouTube videos. And it, it's just, I just let the pen do the writing. It's almost like automatic writing in uh -huh. that sense. Um, when I'm out and I see something absolutely gorgeous, like the night, the sunset or the night sky full of, mm -hmm. of stars or something. I always invite Philip to look through my eyes and, and see that beauty. And mm. when I do that, I feel an extra glow for me. Mm -hmm. um, it's like mm -hmm. my body lights up. Um, but there are so many ways of tapping in. And I always teach, ask for the main communicator guide. Start there because we have multiple guides and teachers around us. That if we start with the main communicator guide, that's the one who can kind of get everybody else in line, and we don't have dozens of people talking to us at once, so to speak. It's the same whether it's people or spirit guides. Um, so I have a, a different guide that I consider my physical healer, a different guide that I use for animal communication, et cetera, et cetera. But Philip is the main conductor, so to speak. So to speak. Mm -hmm. And he does work with other people who then work with me. And I know we both studied with Gene Houston. Um, you and I, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and um, so many people would tap into Gene's energy as well. We can do the same with any of our teachers or their guides. And so I find many people end up you tapping into Philip as well. So that has to do then with our intention. We set an intention to connect. Is, does that sort of open the window for that to happen? Yes, intention is highly, highly important. Um, we also have to be in the energy of it. We hear so much these days about visualizing what you want 
and you'll you know like the law of attraction it'll yeah. draw to you and we have to visualize it and that is like step one in a sense because we have to actually be the energy of it we have to it's like we have to take a step into the energy we can do that through prayer through letting ourselves be aware and be open to it i'm a writer so i'm big on journaling and it's like who wrote the book conversations with god i'm so Neil sorry donald wall thank you thank yeah, you i was going to bring it up because you had mentioned automatic writing and that that's uh the way he described that whole series uh, coming about. And I think that is one of the best ways. I, I even did this as a child that I would write a question. And at the time it was either God or it was, it, I was raised uh, in the Christian church. So it was either God or Jesus that mm -hmm. would answer me. Right. Um, and so I think that's a really good example conversations with God where you ask the question and then just let the answer come. Sometimes we get the vision, sometimes we hear it in the ear, but other times it's just write what words the pen is writing. I always say that the pen is, is doing the work for me. <laughs> um, and what I've noticed, and other people who have worked with Philip have noticed also, Philip's syntax is different from my syntax. And that's one of the ways I can tell it's coming from this deeper energy Okay. rather than just Diana. Um, mm -hmm. And I've noticed people on, on the videos have said the same thing. They could tell if it's me speaking or if it's Philip because the syntax changes. With Philip, I want to say more stilted. He also is amused at what he says often. For example, this last video, we were the question was, do we come across darkness at every stage of light? And Philip was explaining that there is only one light and, and that is the light and the stages of light, it, it, that's a human concept. And so then he went on exactly how he said it. I may say this wrong, but he went on to say, as you develop your own speed of light. And then I just heard this laughter, which of course made me laugh because he's finding that funny as a pun. That's something I wouldn't have come up with on my own. So. Also, his syntax does tend to be, I want to say there's more stilted, more formal than, than my hmm. syntax or the, the way I talk or the way yeah. I would word it. Mm -hmm. So for those of us that uh, have seen Star Trek, uh, I'm not going to compare Philip to Yoda, but Yoda had a certain syntax <laughs> of speaking that you could now people mimic and say, oh, well, you sound like Yoda. So that's a way of describing syntax is just a, a different quality or, or way of presenting the words and, uh, and, and emotion, as you said, in your case, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's, it's much more formal. Um, it's like years ago when, when I studied with Jean um, and if I would ask Jean a question in the energy the way Jean would answer me would be the way I would hear Jean, not the way I would answer it. And Jean speaks very differently. She's probably the most brilliant human being I've ever met in my life, I think. Um, but she, just the way she teaches, the way she talks is very different from the way I speak. And Yoda is a great example. <laughs> okay. So you have a weekly YouTube uh 
channel or a presentation. And then uh, I heard you say that you had a monthly as well. Uh, and then followers that can ask questions, uh, what, through a little chat or something? Uh, I don't know. Well, they can ask in the comments. Comments, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, I always ask that personal questions we don't ask for the for these videos because I, we want to keep it more esoteric uh, and answer the universal questions for people okay. rather than, than the personal questions. What is, the, can, I'm what, sorry. Is the, what is the address of the channel? How would people find you? Just my name. Oh, okay. YouTube, Diana Rankin. Uh, and, and that's R-A-I-N-K-I-N? No. R-A-N-K-I-N. Oh, R-A-N. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I should know. I just typed it in a minute ago. <laughs> and it's Diana, like the goddess, D-I-A-N-A, and then R-A-N-K-I-N, YouTube. I think I'm the only Diana Rankin on YouTube, but mm -hmm. if if not, I have se several meditation uh YouTube videos, videos mm -hmm. on, on just about everything. Right, right. I saw lots of examples. Uh, you even, I think, have already done your November one, haven't you? Yes, and I'll be doing this week the December one. Oh, okay. Yeah. So when you do a monthly, which is in a sense kind of a prediction, isn't it? The monthly ones are prediction. The weekly ones are the esoteric questions. So when you look back over your monthlies in the past, if you ever look back over them, how did he do? How did, how do you evaluate predictions? Well, honestly, I normally don't go back and, and, and look, um, but every once in a while I, I will. And it, it is written in my journal. So I usually go back to the journal because mm -hmm. I find the videos, it's hard to see ourselves, I think. <laughs> So I don't normally go back to the video. Last week, a new client, or a client I hadn't heard from for some time, told me that she has been watching predictions around the election, et cetera. And she said she's hit nearly every psychic on the YouTube. And she said, out of all of those, you came the closest. She said, thank you, Philip, because Philip really hit, hit the nails on the head. Hmm. Um, Honestly, I can't verify that. Uh -huh. um, and I'm sure there are a lot of psychics out there who have also hit the nails on the head. Mm -hmm. But we are in very difficult times. Mm -hmm. We are in very erratic energy times. And I do find, honestly, that this is a, it's a difficult time to do major readings about the world. Um, the readings for people are a lot easier for me than predictions about the world. Oh. So I'm always a, a little reluctant to do that. But if it's helpful to people and people tell me it is, and they're telling me Philip is spot on. And I also, from, from my clients, get a lot of feedback that tells me that how Philip was so helpful to them. Wonderful. Okay. Is there anything uh, that you feel comfortable sharing that you you said in this November presentation? If I remember, I don't remember how he said it, mm -hmm. but I do remember that there was a question about the election oh. and, it, and it was, um, and also a question about the Senate. So the presidential election in the Senate. And if I'm re recalling correctly, it was that in the end, it would be Biden 
would be put in place. You know, without reading it or listening to it, I'd actually have to go back. What I do remember is he w did say that the, this, it would not necessarily look like it, but the Senate would go Democratic. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we'll have to wait and see about that one. Okay. Wanted a sense of the kind of the flavor of how even specific, I mean, that's pretty specific. So I didn't know if Philip was more um, in a generalization frame of responding or it's certainly something that your followers can say, well, it was spot on. <laughs> so uh, not, not everybody can say that about their predictions of, of the future. Yes, I'm, I'm quickly looking through here to see if I can find what he said. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up. November brings about the specific uh, scenario. And this is what is defecting the U.S., uh, the election, not only in the U.S., but the world is watching. And the election of energy is quite erratic and will remain so through the first weeks in November. Uh, but then it looks like there could be a calming toward the end of, of the weeks. It does talk about, I believe, the pandemic increasing. Um, and it says that Biden will win the first election, but that will be challenged. So Trump will, Trump could be will remain in office, but only temporarily. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it talks about, about how it will settle down after the middle of the month and goes on from there. And that would, was actually uh, prior to the election. I, I that would have been in October. Yeah, right. Yeah. That I recorded like uh -huh. toward the end of one month for the next month. It also talks about we get into weather a lot. And I know for November, it said that the charities will have a greater influence over people's lives, uh, so be generous. Mm -hmm. Food lines, just uh, amazing in different parts of the, of the country. Yeah, it, it's really interesting to me that, that not only the predictions that we do monthly, but the questions that people ask, because they're questions that I may never have thought of to start with, but they're also questions that I think, oh, I know the answer to this one. And then I start getting the answer from Philip and it's like, really? Wow. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so, you know, it takes my arrogance away and just, and definitely deflates it. Yeah. it There's so a, much. There's so much. We both are familiar with stories of people that have communicated with another being. Last week, uh, Allison was talking uh, about her automatic writing. And I thought of Gene Houston's uh, story of visiting as a, a young kid with her dad, Edgar Bergen, and Charlie McCarthy. And Charlie McCarthy's a wooden dummy, and Edgar Bergen is the ventriloquist. And uh, they happened to come on to his room uh, with the door ajar. They heard the conversation that Edgar was talking to Charlie about these great esoteric questions. Finally, they went in and her dad said, Edgar, who are you talking to? And, uh, oh, oh, you caught me. I, I was, uh, was just talking to Charlie. So here's another example of how people have connections. And uh, it's amazing the variety of what we call paranormal. Yet when you start talking to folks, it happens so much that it's almost like normal. Uh, and yet 
none of it is really provable. You know, you, you got your other side of the world that says, well, it's, if I can't prove that that's what's happening, then I'm not going to believe that that's what you're doing or that's what's happening. And uh, that's another kind of division that we see in our um, communications with folks. How do you how do you handle or do you ever need to try to handle that question from the scientist kind of person? In in my courses that I've taught over the years or in, in the speaking, and the, I know this is would be true of Gene Houston too. I have had doctors, I have had attorneys, I've had pilots, ace pilots, you know, Air Force pilots, I've had scientists, um, I've had patent attorneys, I've had regular attorneys. I mean, I think that some skepticism is good. I think it's important uh, because we don't want to just suddenly become, we, we don't want to lose the critical thinking. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think critical thinking is important. So I always have people, when I'm teaching how to develop your intuition, I always have people do certain things that they prove it for themselves. So it might be, for example, uh, I one of the things I do is I hide feathers. Uh, and the feathers were always in the like a weekend workshop. I'll hide feathers around the room. And you're not allowed to just go pick up things and look. You have to find the feather with your intuition. Ooh. And you have three, three days to do it. And wow. so that's a very simple test. Here's using tapping into your intuition. We're teaching you how to tap into that intuition, how to develop it, refine it, use it just to prove to yourself that it's, it's there. Mm -hmm. And everybody at the end of the workshop will have found their feather. So wow. that's just a simple little thing. Um, but we, the synchronicity increases as, as we develop that intuition at a deeper level and refine it and begin to trust it more. Synchronicity. I mean, we all know the phone's going to ring. We know who's going to answer it or who's, gonna, who's calling without actually looking at the number. When I was in, in college way back when, <laughs> so many years ago, um, the first time, uh, I was at Bowling Green State University, and this was way before the days of cell phones. And my mother, who we believed in woman's intuition, but, you know, don't say the word psychic, but woman's intuition was acceptable. And so my mother would just kind of think of me, and I would kind of pick up that message, and I would go down the hall to the payphone, which is how we would call each other. And I would always know when to go sit at that payphone, and it, it's that kind of thing that how can you deny when you prove it to yourself over and over and over and over mm -hmm. okay. you know it's it's like you mislay your keys well all you have to do is think about the last place retrace your steps in your mind and you'll find the lost object but that's harder for people to do mm -hmm. because how do I remember where I was? It's not that hard because it's in your mind. Mm -hmm. So the people that came to your workshops, they had come to your workshops because they had already opened their mind enough to want to know a little bit more. 
Is that correct? I think so. And, and most of my clients, for example, are personal referrals. Um, somebody said, listen, she helped me. She can help you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, there has to, I mean, if you're totally, it, it can't happen. Well, I say that. And then I want to say a relative, uh, she's an attorney and she was dead set. She said, I love you, but no way, no way. And so one, this goes back a few years, uh, we were at a family gathering and she said, okay, I don't believe any of this, but I lost my keys. Can you tell me where they are? And I told her, gave her enough information. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I gave her enough information. And then I got a, a note from her saying, okay, I don't know how you did it, but yeah, I found my <laughs> keys where you said they were. So, you know, it's, we each have to, she had to be open enough to come and ask me, Sure. Do you know where my keys are, right. even telling me, I don't believe any of this. That's okay. So, but if somebody isn't open enough to come and ask you, they're not going to get the answer they're seeking. And we also have to be humble enough to say, even in my arrogance, when I say, I think I know the answer, I'll come back and say, the more I know, the more I know, I know nothing. (laughs) So we have to be open. We have to be able to be critical thinkers, not just accept everything uh, to really, you know, does that work? Mm -hmm. Good, good, yeah. There are so many, it seems, uh, folks in the last few years, well, we could even go back to Gene's Jump Time book and even go back before that to the, the 60s and 70s and 80s. People were starting to write more and more about this age, whether it's the age of Aquarius or whether it was the, the new age and even got that label, oh, that's new age and so on. Well. We're hearing, oh, then there was 2012 that came along uh, and that was brought in a whole thing from the, I think the Aztec calendar possibly. uh, And Hopi. And Hopi Indian, uh uh-huh. And so uh, what what are you picking up on in this series of, um, it's sort of anticipations, it seems like that people are putting out there, uh, does that mean anything to you or Philip? (laughs) It does. And this last week or so, three different people mentioned to me about how the moon was so far south when they saw that the moon moving. And it always goes south it's always more southeast and southwest in the winter than it is in, in the summer. It's almost directly overhead in the summer. Um, and I notice it, I'm out in the middle of the country. And so I notice it as it goes over my meadow and over the woods that it is much more southwest and south moving southeast to southwest than it, than it ever has before. This year seems to have made a big shift. Oh. Um, and science has told us, science tells us and has told us, and I think I got this from the National Geographic um, magazine, but I could be wrong about my source because it's been a while. Um, but I'm sure Scientific America would have it something in it about the Earth has shifted so many degrees on its on its axis. So that's science telling us that. Mm-hmm. And what I've noticed uh, 
over these, this span that you're talking about is right in alignment with what the ancients have also told us. The ancient ones, for example, said that this period of time that we're in, it is a major shift in the earth, that the earth will shift on her axis, that energy will shift, that there will be no more secrets, that all the secrets will come out. You know, who knew that, that the internet, we can't keep secrets, the internet brings them out. So yes, and, and I think it was Greg Braden who said it's a 26,000 year cycle. Um, somebody else said it's a 35,000 year cycle. There also is a thousand year cycle. So we're going through multiple shifts and cycles. I call it the evolutionary shift times. Uh, and yes, we're in that shift creates an erratic energy. It creates a difficult energy. But I always say when, when we have a wound, we heal our wounds with, if you take your hands and imagine you know, your, your hands, just the, the palm of the hands together. And then you put your fingers together, but you've got this big gap in there. And I say that the wound has to be ripped open. And that's really difficult as humans to live through that in order that the pus can come out and that the wound can heal. And then the way I demonstrate that is to take the palms and bring the hands together and then the fingers. And so I think that what we're doing, and I think we've made the shift that all these, these decades before we've been building up to it, I feel we have made the shift, but that doesn't mean in my lifetime or Dick in your lifetime, we'll, we'll see the end of the shift. I think as Americans, we're, we're impatient and, and we say, okay, listen, that shift's gonna take maybe five months, maybe four or five. It takes quite a few years to complete the shift, but I do think we've made it. Or is it more correct to say we are making it? Is that to, to say we've made it or if it hasn't completed, is it in a process of being made? Both. And the reason I say that it's like, if we're climbing a mountain, we're climbing and we're climbing and it's so hard. And then if we reach the summit, in order, we still have to, to, to go back down or we may have to walk across the mountain. So it's like we've reached that shift hmm. pinnacle, hmm. but we're not done by any means. So Okay, it, so you mentioned you mentioned wounds healing. Mm -hmm. What uh, what wounds are you talking about? Well, in this country, we certainly have the wound of segregation. Uh, we have the wound of, we are both white people. So we have the wound of not uh, understanding fully what it's like to grow up with your, a darker skin in this country. That's a huge wound in, in the U.S., the, the wound of segregation, the, the wound of police brutality but also we have to, to temper that with, with knowing that most police officers are good people and wanna help us and do the right thing. So we're always tempering. We have, uh, you know, racism is, is huge. We have a, the 1% and we have more and more people uh, going homeless. We have vets who come home from war and we don't support them. Uh, the suicide rate among former 
uh, soldiers is, is ridiculously high and shouldn't be. We're in the middle of a pandemic where we've lost, what is it, almost 260,000 human lives and others who suffer long-term effects from a pandemic or from a virus that never should have gotten this far. Um, there's a lot to heal in this country. We've become a very divided country. Uh, we have a country where women don't have equal pay, for example. Uh, so there's a lot to heal. There's, there's a lot, and, and for that healing to take place, the ugliness had to come out as hard as it is. Uh, I was pretty naive thinking, I, it didn't seem to me that racism was the problem that I now see it was, for example. Well, all of what you've mentioned goes so much further back in history. Even, uh, I mean, women, you know, didn't have the right to vote. And, and <laughs> our, even our constitution, when it was first written, was a landed gentry, wealthy class that was creating the system that would protect the wealthy class. And then we had our genocide with the Native Americans that were here. And, and, and that even went back to the pain and the, the wounding that was going on in Europe and, and other places. So it seems as though the world has been in this uh, wounding process for so long um, that the, the, the things that we can just see today on the TV are just a few of the like tip of the iceberg of all of this history of wounding. So um, it, it, it's a lot to think about opening and exposing so that healing can begin to happen, um, are you feeling as though healing is on a scale of one to 10, uh, how are we doing? <laughs> on a scale of one to 10, if we look at the whole world and we look at history, uh, it doesn't seem like we're doing very well at all. But this is where as we heal, I, I think we're in this period of time where we can heal a lot of this. We have to acknowledge it. We have to look at it. And I would say we're somewhere around a five. Really? On a scale of one to 10. I would, because I'm seeing, well, like you mentioned earlier, the Global Healers Summit. When I was a girl, there was no Global Healers Summit. Uh, there was Alan Watts. Yeah, Alan Watts, uh-huh. You know, there there were, the Dalai Lama came along years later that I ever heard of the Dalai Lama. And when I was growing up, I was in college before I heard of, of Buddhism. Mm -hmm. I never heard of Buddhism while I was in high school. And so now all of this information is available to the young people today. We didn't understand global warming when I was a girl. We didn't, the world was a much smaller place. We didn't have the internet. And I think the internet for all of, of its downside, it has a wonderful way of connecting. This is why I have hope for the US and the world because we have the internet and we can connect. 
it has caused problems, it does cause problems, but it also can be used for the good of all humankind and the planet because of the communication we now have that we, we didn't have years ago. Okay, well, you're much uh, further up in the, the scale of zero to 10 that I would have uh, put it. <laughs> and, and I think part of why I'm not putting it higher is that these uh, global healer summits and the different things that I see going on, although in and of themselves may reach a lot of people, and uh, even though the, the marches and the protests around the world can be large and touch a lot of people, uh, everywhere I listen, I hear people not knowing how inside themselves to do what you said way back at the beginning of our conversation, to love themselves and forgive themselves uh, to understand who they are as, uh, as I like to describe them as, as a pod of consciousness, uh, uh, a being that is not their body and is, is not their thoughts and, and feelings. And they can, it seems there's so much growth that is yet to happen in that regard. I would agree, but I would also say <laughs> Because as you said, and as, as you know, Dick, the only way we transform the world is to transform ourselves. Yes. And that, that the only way we take all that anger that's out in the world today is to take that anger and use it constructively, transform it to love. Um, you know, A Course in Miracles, which came out in the mid seventies, I think 1975 is when it was first published. Um, I, I lived in California at the time and. I just kind of remember studying it when I lived in California. But even, even that, The Course in Miracles teaches this wonderful, easy to know. Love, fear, that's it. Everything is either love or it's fear. That's a very complex thought, but it's also very simple. And so when I find I'm stressed, when I find I get angry, when I find I lose my temper, I remind myself of that. I can either choose love or I can choose fear. And I'm going to choose love. So with every breath, with every step, with every moment, we're transforming our lives. And as we transform our lives, it helps the next person. So all we're doing at, at our age, I'm 75, and I just turned 75 on the 11th of November. So as, as I have lived my life, as I've transformed my life, all I can do is create a path. And I think we're the pathfinders. I think that Gene Houston taught us to be the pathfinders and the teachers. And I think we are on the edge of that summit. I think we've just created it for the young people to come behind us. And I'm already seeing those that I've taught teaching others, just as Gene taught us, we teach others. And so I really do think that we're just the pathfinders and that those coming behind, we've created that energy, we've created that path for them to follow in their own way to learn to really moment by moment, breath by breath, step by step, love themselves. Yeah, I, I think it's important to say in their own way. Yes. There was a, a story that 
probably comes from some oriental history uh, where some sage or, or, or leader was asked about what path to take through the forest. And the guy says, well, there is no path you can take. You have to make your own path because every, everybody's making their own path. But we're using tools or uh, different techniques and different uh, things that we've picked up along the way, uh, learning to trust our intuition or tap into our intu intuition. That's a tool that we'll use in our unique way to take that next step. Uh, I think we fully agree on that uh, kind of approach. Absolutely. And it, and it, it helps as I progress on, on my path, it helps me to know that others have gone before me. And, and as I'm chopping down those weeds to get through my path, there are others who have shown me how or give me the tools, as you say, Gene uh, Houston being one of them. And that inspires me to be able to go forward. Uh, you know, in, in the woman's movement, for example, uh, Gloria Steinem, way back when, when, when I was a young girl, and or a woman at that time and kind of looked at her and said, hmm, I don't know, but I will always be grateful. Mm -hmm. uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she yeah. made it possible for we women to be able to have wonderful breakthroughs that we couldn't have had without them, even though our paths are very different. When I was a girl, we were allowed to be teachers or nurses. I could still hear my mother saying, no, you can't just be a writer because uh -huh. Writers don't make enough money. You can't support yourself. Yeah, my mother, uh, she worked in the family business uh, with my dad. But then uh, when they separated, she went to real estate. Yeah. So this is back in the 50s. There were, wow. there were a few areas where, at least in our town in Missouri, possibly because there was a very strong business-minded woman that had helped create a real estate business in our town. And she was a good friend of my mother's. And so she was recruiting women uh, in the 50s to uh, work in that area. And they were quite successful. And uh, so interesting how little pockets of this were taking place. Then Gloria comes along maybe 10, 15 years later as another inspiring woman with ideas. Although here in these little towns and pockets around the world, there were women that were doing the groundwork. Yeah. Absolutely. And I love that story about your mother. That's phenomenal. My mother was a single mother and had two children because uh, the father left the family. And she was a published poet and she was a CPA back in the days that <laughs> women weren't CPAs, but her boss was not. Her boss was, I don't even know if he had a college degree. And, but she told me my choices were to be a teacher or a nurse because she knew how hard it was for her. I think she wanted to make it easier for me. Yeah, we, we do get it, interesting advice from parents. <laughs> yeah, it didn't stick obviously, but. Obviously, <laughs> really, really. Yeah, but there were, and, and the bravery of the women, mm -hmm. uh, like your mother and, the, the broker that she worked for, that took a lot of courage. Yeah, because you had to do it. You had to, you were the one responsible for getting your leads and, and selling the house or, you know, the, it was all up to you. So I, 
I'm going to go back to a question that I, I bring up often on this show. And uh, you mentioned love and fear. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned a choice. So how do you describe in your language the individual that is making the choice? Do you describe the individual as a soul or as a uh, divine being, or I call them pods of consciousness? Uh, do you have a, a way of helping people identify themselves in this mishmash of emotions and fear and love and different things that go on in their lives? I think of us as being spiritual beings having a human experience. And so the human is where the, in in the human part of us, I love that pot of consciousness, by the way, but in that human part of us is where we carry the emotion. And we, instead of just letting the emotion come and experience and let it float on by, we tend to grab hold of it. And that's where we get in trouble, whatever the emotion is, instead of just experiencing it. And when we grab a hold of it, if we are allowing our spiritual self to have more control of the human self, so to speak, control is probably the wrong word, but if we are really aware of that spiritual self, then we're able to catch our, our human self when the human self gets caught in an emotion, such as, um, Earlier, I was rushing around trying to do this, this, and this, and my one cat, I was trying to clean up after her, but she kept trying to get in my way and keep me from cleaning it up. She wanted to play with the what I was cleaning up, and I found myself scolding her, and, and I lost my temper for a moment, and I had to then stop and catch myself. And that's what we have to do. We have to continuously through meditation, through prayer, through desire, through intent, let that spirit self really guide our human self. And so doing that, we're then able to catch ourselves easier. When the anger does flare, we're able to consciously, as the human self, make the choice, love or fear. And that fear is the human, that love comes through the human from the spirit self. Have, have I made that well, anywhere I, clear I, at I, all? <laughs> sure. I, I mean, I understand the language well. And uh, the next question is, uh, does that way of describing work for your clients? Do they get it when you put it that way? It's usually not a question that comes up. Oh, okay. uh, it may come up like on the YouTube but the individual clients, it's usually a little bit more, uh, less esoteric, shall I say. It, it's more of help me find the right career. Help me, my job isn't going well, what's going on here? Uh, it may also be uh, a, a wound from childhood that is getting in the way. So it's much more human day-to-day interaction with the clients, but with, with the uh, the, the esoteric questions that we get into on the on the weekly videos on YouTube, absolutely. I, well, I get a lot of feedback um, that people just say it the the words I use or the way I say it just calms them, and that's what we're looking for. 
And I, I have to say, I'm just reading Philip's words, I'm just reading his words, but it, it, anything that we do that keeps us in a state of joy, in a state of love, rather than the anger, mm -hmm. anytime we look at the anger, catch ourselves or fear and just consciously make the choice to feel love rather than the fear, we're able to grieve, for example, in a, in a pure sense. We're able to take the anger and use it constructively. We're, we're able to not just sit there and get ulcers. We're able to actually take action. Mm -hmm. Can you give one example of taking anger and using it constructively? Let me use the political. If there's something politically going on and it angers you, instead of just venting, if you need to vent, okay, but instead of, of going out and yelling at your neighbor or yelling at the cat, write a letter, call a congressperson, make a donation, volunteer uh, in an area that will be helpful. Uh, if, you're, if you're going to get uh, march in protest, wear your mask, number one, Keep as much distance from others as you can, which isn't possible in mass protest, but also go in love and silence, not in yelling and screaming, and mm -hmm. because that accomplishes nothing. Good that you bring that up because I've, I've observed several protests this last year, and there is a lot of yelling and screaming. <laughs> and so um, I, I see that same sort of problem that they're trying to make a positive action in their mind, but in their hearts, it seems that though the energy is, is negative. On, on both sides of the aisle. I oh, mean, oh yeah, oh yeah, it's not, a, it's not a red and blue thing. It's, a, it's not, it's an anger thing. The human thing, yeah. It's, yeah, and you know, certainly it's on both sides. The anger is getting us nowhere. Use the anger to propel you forward in love. All right. In love. <laughs> wonderful. Wonderful. One of the masks I have, I said, I'm probably going to wear a mask in flu season the rest of my life at my age. But I, I said, I'm starting a whole wardrobe of masks. And one of them says love wins. And oh. so anywhere I go, like to the grocery store or get some takeout food, and I'm wearing that mask, everybody near me will say, comment on your, I love your mask. I love your mask because love always will win. It's much stronger than anger or fear. Anger and fear is just louder sometimes. Did you make your own mask? No, I, I, I've had people, I've had clients make them for me. Uh, I've had friends give them to me and I, a few I, I mean, purchased. I mean, the one that says love wins. Where did I bought it. I, I bought that one. There you go. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, you've had a few uh, health things that you've worked through with love. I just want folks to know that uh, you've had some challenges in that way that you've worked through and you look uh, beautiful today. I'm here on Zoom looking right at you and I think, wow, I, I can't tell that there was <laughs> anything that's gone on. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, uh, it's been several years now, but I had a motorcycle spill in my, in my 60s, and that was the first time I broke a bone. Uh, this year of April 11th, I was out walking in the woods with my hands in my pocket, and I fell and broke my left shoulder. And so that's still uh, 
rehabilitating. I've got about 95% mobility and strength, but I still get that last 5%. And then just recently, a couple of weeks ago, um, I tripped over an exercise ball and my dog and hit the back of my head on the edge of uh, the fireplace. So like I said, never fallen in my life, have good, good balance. And uh, then I get to look at, okay, what does that mean? Am I carrying too many burdens that don't belong to me with the shoulder, for example, mm -hmm. uh, with the head? What is it I'm not getting that, that I need to be getting? Uh -huh. um, and certainly it, it's, a, it's always a learning lesson. Well, good. Turn that into learning. Absolutely. We're, we're grateful that you're still here to tell us about it. <laughs> uh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I, uh, I am too, but it it uh, it did keep me at home. Let me say that way. Mm -hmm, say it that sure. way. And, and during a pandemic, that's a good place to be. It it is. And when the uh, paramedics showed up, they didn't have mask on, and this was in April, mm -hmm. and they didn't have mask on. And before they got too close, where are your mask? And they looked at me. Do you do you have the the virus? I said no, but you know. You I don't might. know that you guys don't, and who knows that I don't. So put your mask on. Mm -hmm. So hopefully they've been wearing them ever since. And they were wonderful. They were great. Mm -hmm. uh, but living in the rural areas, we just, it was hard for people to really accept. It still is that there's a pandemic. Right. Well, Diana Rankin, R-A-N-K-I-N, we'll look you up on YouTube to see your beautiful face again. And you're also on Facebook, I think, if people want I to am. find you there. And uh, you uh, have various ways of uh, helping folks. So we hope some people will take advantage of your gifts and talents and, uh, and we'll check in a little later, see how things are going. Well, thank you so much, Dick. It's it's always a pleasure to talk with you and be with you. And I deeply appreciate the opportunity. It's like we're just old friends. I don't know. It's just uh, known each other forever. <laughs> but thank you and uh, look forward to next time. And remember, folks, wherever you are, that is your world. Please leave your world cleaner, more peaceful, and more loving than you found it. Because if it is to be, it is up to us. Take care. Talk to you soon. Have a great Thanksgiving.